verse 1, if you would. As you're turning there, if you are unaware, every Sunday we do offer a children's class that meets in the classroom at the back of this larger room. Kids are more than welcome to make your way to that at this time. Uh, We also have a fully staffed nursery that meets in the room just over here on the corner. And uh, again, you're more than welcome to use that if you'd like. And also, I want to say, if you want to keep your kids right here, that's great too. If they make a little bit of noise, it's not going to bother me. Uh, We have lots of kids at Beaumont Baptist Church. And honestly, we're just super glad uh, that you're here with us to worship this morning. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. If you have a copy of God's Word. Uh, If not, I'll be reading all the verses that we look at this morning. Today is is an extremely special day here at Beaumont Baptist Church. We have nine different people who are going to stand up in just a few moments and share a message of sorts, Uh, but it's not going to be your typical message or sermon. Uh, Each one of these people are going to declare a message uh, without words. They're not going to use words, they're going to speak by means of a public act. And each one of them is going to convey their message uh, through baptism. We're actually going to hear them talk as well for a few moments, but uh, the primary reason for this special service today is for these nine people to publicly stand up and through an act, say something. In other words, their message is not so much a message that you uh, hear with your ears. It's a message that you're going to see with your eyes. And it's meant to be one of those, a picture is worth a thousand words kind of moments. Uh, So when you see their message, uh, just to be really honest, we want that message to be uh, crystal clear, as clear as it could possibly be. Uh, You know how you may grab a pair of binoculars and you put them up into your eyes uh, and you look out and it's just this blur and you turn the little dial and everything comes into focus. And that's really what I'm hoping and praying, and I think our church would hope and pray for everyone here this morning, is that that sort of thing would happen, that what you see becomes crystal clear. What we don't want to assume is that you have the necessary background or information to interpret the message that your eyes are about to see. You may not have uh, that. In fact, I'd say most people probably don't, and that's okay. Uh, I just want to help you understand what you're about to witness today. Uh, I'm going to help, try to help you see baptism through the lens of Jesus Christ. Uh, baptism is a visual message that a person shares about Jesus Christ and particularly about their relationship to Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. So let's talk for a moment about Jesus so that you can understand the message, uh, I, I should say messages, that you're about to see from all these people. It's the exact same message, but we want to make sure you understand it. So I'm going to walk you through four teachings of the Bible about Jesus this morning and want to encourage you as I do that to just think, how do these teachings relate to you, if at all? And just try to think through that for a moment with me. So four teachings of the Bible about Jesus. Number one, Jesus Christ is God. Uh, He's not a God among many gods. Jesus Christ is God. If you have a Bible and you've turned to John chapter 1, verse 1, in John chapter 1, Jesus Christ, uh, and as I mentioned Jesus Christ, I'm speaking about the historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is given a special title in John chapter 1. He's called the Word. And you think words express thoughts, they express ideas. He's given this special title because he's a person who's expressing something. He's demonstrating something. He's called the Word. Notice what John chapter 1, verse 1 says about Jesus. It says, In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus Christ. 
And the word was with God. And then note the next phrase. The word, again, this reference to Jesus, the word was God. Don't miss a simple observation that in the Bible, Jesus Christ is called God again and again and again and again. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God. And as God, it should be noted that Jesus Christ is pre-existent. He's always been. There was never a time when Jesus was not. Look back at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. It takes us all the way back to the beginning. The way that the Bible itself opens in Genesis 1, verse 1. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, here in John 1, 1, verse 2. 1 to 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 2 says it again, He was in the beginning with God. What does that mean? Well, it means that long before Jesus was ever born in a manger, as we might think of it as, at Christmas time, we think of this, this little small child with his mother Mary and his father Joseph. Long before Jesus was ever born in a manger, Jesus Christ existed. Jesus existed before the world was created. Uh, He existed without a human body at that time. The Bible tells us that God is a spirit. Jesus has always been. Jesus is pre-existent. And the Bible also teaches that Jesus is self-existent. If you're there in the Gospel of John, you could just uh, flip over to chapter 5, verse 26. And we're going to find out where Jesus Christ derives his life, so to speak. John 5.26 says this. It says, For as the Father, um, many of you may know this, the, the Bible describes God, or it tells us that God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but one God. And this verse brings out the different persons of, of God. John 5.26 says, For as the Father, God the Father, has life in himself, so he has granted the Son, again, it's a reference to Jesus, also to have life in himself. Unlike you and me, Jesus Christ is dependent upon no one and no thing for life. You need food, right? You need water. You need oxygen. You need all kinds of things for your life to continue. You are very, very much dependent for life. Not Jesus before he entered the world as a man. Jesus does not derive his life from elsewhere. There's there's not some outside source that Jesus is dependent on for life. Jesus Christ is life, the Bible says. He is pre-existent. He is self-existent. He is God. And that's what the Bible teaches. And I want to ask every single person here, whether you're young or whether you're getting up in years, do you believe that? That Jesus Christ is God. That's what the Bible teaches. Let's move to a second teaching of the Bible about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the creator of the world. Uh, You can turn, if you have a Bible, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. This verse tells us about something that Jesus, again, I'm referring to the historical figure. It tells us about something that Jesus did long before he ever came to earth as a baby. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says this. It says, for by him, talking about Jesus, 
For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, what we can see with our eyes, and invisible, all the things that we can't see, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created through him, Jesus. And then it says, and for him, Jesus. The Bible teaches that Jesus created the universe and that Jesus created you. Think about that for a moment. That Jesus created the universe. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. The sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the galaxies, the planets, the mountains, the valleys, the rivers, the prairies, the oceans, uh, the plants, the animals, everything. Jesus created them all. And the Bible teaches that actually he spoke them into existence by the word of his mouth. Jesus created the universe and Jesus created you. According to the Bible, you are not some product of chance or uh, multiple evolutionary happenings and here you are. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God made you. God made you. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created by him, Jesus, and all things were created for him, Jesus. In other words, think about this. You were created by God for a purpose. Your life has meaning and purpose. You were created by Jesus and you were created for Jesus. The purpose of your life is not to live 70 or 80 years and just try to make the most of it. So what is the purpose? Well, many people seek purpose their whole lives. and They never seem to find it or they go, it must be this. And they pursue and they pursue and they finally attain what they thought was purpose and meaning. And they realize that, that, that was empty. That can't be it. As soon as they think that they've found purpose, they realize that they were wrong. Your purpose, according to the Bible, is this. You were created for God. God created you for his own pleasure and glory. And maybe to give a couple specifics there, the Bible teaches that God created you to love him with all of your heart, with the entirety of your being to love him. And along with that, to love your neighbor as yourself. He created you to do what he wants you to do. That's your purpose. That's my purpose in life. And there's a massive, massive implication of all of that. Um, I want you to just think about something with me for a moment. Because God is your creator, as the Bible teaches, what that means is that you and I are accountable to him. We're accountable to our creator. We're accountable to his standard, whatever that is. So Jesus Christ is God. He's the creator of the world. He's your creator. He's mine. And you and I are accountable to him. That's what the Bible teaches. And so I want to ask you again, do you believe that? The third teaching of the Bible about Jesus. Jesus Christ is man. Uh, You can turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. What stands out to us often when we think about Jesus, particularly baby Jesus at Christmas time, And him lying in a manger, what we think about is the fact that he's human. 
He's a baby. He grows up to be a man. He has flesh and blood. He's walking around here on earth like everybody else. Not only is Jesus God, he is a real historical person. Galatians 4 verse 4 says this. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And then it says this, born of a woman, born under the law. God the Father sent Jesus Christ the Son to earth to be born of a woman, just like all of us were. In other words, we might say, if, if, if Jesus is God and he's always existed, he's the creator of the world, at this moment in history, Jesus Christ added to his deity, or the fact that he is God, he added to that humanity. Jesus is man. And Jesus is, is just like you and me on the human level with one pretty extraordinary exception. Jesus is completely and totally without sin. He never sinned. But as a human being, what he did and experienced, uh, he grew tired. He grew weary. He, he was exhausted. He, he at times sweat and uh, had emotions of uh, great highs and moments of celebration and also moments that were... Uh, grievous and painful and sorrowful. He laughed, he cried, he slept, all of these things. When Jesus came to earth, he added to himself a human nature and the limitations of a human body. He became the God-man. Why would Jesus do that? Uh, We'll get to that in a moment. But just to kind of review where we've been, Jesus is God, he is the creator Jesus is man. We say he's the God man. That's what the Bible teaches. And again, for a third time, I want to ask you, do you believe that? Perhaps you've noted that there is great irony in these first three teachings of the Bible about Jesus. When you take all three of those things and you just kind of put them together in a pot, think, that's, what in the world? That's odd. God the creator, the one who's entirely outside of his creation. He spoke all of this into existence. Intentionally entered into that creation as a man? Why? That's crazy. And with that, we want to focus on one final teaching of the Bible about Jesus this morning. Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. You can turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 11. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, an angel appeared to shepherds. Uh, The word angel actually means messenger. So you might think of angels, oftentimes they're functioning as these messengers from heaven. And that's exactly what's going on here. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, an angel shows up on the scene in front of all these very, very ordinary people, shepherds. And here's what the angel says. He announces the birth of Jesus. He says in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For unto you, to these very ordinary, everyday people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angel is announcing the birth of Jesus Christ, and he's saying to all these ordinary people, Jesus is the Savior of the world. 
Jesus Christ came to save the very people that he had created. And what did he come to save them from? Well, specifically, we might say that he came to save the people that he created from their sin. Uh, We might say as well that he, he came to save the people that he created from the wrath of God. Remember, these people that God's created, all of us, we were created for God's pleasure and for his glory and to love him with all of our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Which one of us has done that? Not one of us. We've all sinned and that, that stirs up the wrath of God. We've wronged our creator. And so Jesus came to save the very people he created from their sin and from God's wrath and eternal condemnation and hell, the Bible teaches And Jesus comes to earth, and what does he do? He lives sinlessly. He eventually makes his way to the point where he dies on a cross, and then he's buried, and he rises again from the grave. And the Bible teaches that Jesus did all of that for you. And he did that for me. If you just look at the cross for a moment and think about the implications or the statement that the cross that Jesus died on makes, it's, th- those statements are enormous. Just think about the implications or the statements that the cross makes. It makes made some very loud, bold statements that you cannot ignore. First, the cross makes a statement about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered the pain of death on a cross. Um, Mark 15, verse 24 says this. It says, and they crucified him. I mean, Jesus is dragging this cross up a hill, falling beneath his, its weight, being whipped and beaten and a crown of thorns pressed on his head. And ultimately, he's strung up and nailed to this cross and hung on it. Where he dies a gruesome, painful death. And, and the scriptures are quite clear. Make no mistake about it that this wasn't some type of accident. And Jesus was in the wrong place at the wrong time and everybody was upset with him. no. Jesus gave up his life willingly that way. He did so quite purposefully. He did so. He died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath. The the cross of Christ makes a statement about the sacrifice of Jesus, but it also makes a big, big statement about the satisfaction of God's wrath. Sin stirs up the wrath of God. You may be familiar with Romans chapter 3, verse 23 maybe the most well-known verse in all the Bible or one of the top few. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's standard is high. God is glorious and perfect. He's without sin and he created you to live for him and to love him with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. His standard's way up here and none of us have met it because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is no person who has fulfilled the purpose that God created him for. Uh, You haven't done that. I could certainly say that I have not done that. Each of us is a great sinner. And furthermore, the Bible teaches that God is just. He's fair. And and, and what uh, realm or sphere of society is it okay for people to do horrible, terrible things and there never be consequences? Well, in God's ordered world, God says, I govern and I run that fair and just and right. I don't just turn away and not look at sin. God is just. He cannot simply ignore our sins and pretend like they never happened. 
that would be wrong. And so the Bible teaches that sin brings with it a, a penalty. And that penalty must be paid. Uh, there's a word that I like to share with people that the Bible uses that is not a word that you and I use pretty much ever when we talk, but it's a really, really awesome word, a really big word. It's the word propitiation. You don't use that, do you? <laughs> You're like, I was talking to my neighbor, and we were talking about work yesterday, propitiation, you know? No, like not a word that we use, but the Bible uses it. Propitiation is a word that very simply refers to a sacrifice that turns away, or we might say satisfies, the wrath of God. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. And the question is, where does he turn the wrath away from? Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that turns the wrath of God away from you and from me. 1 John 4, verse 10 says this. You go, wow, like the wrath of God, that... Whew. Well, 1 John 4, verse 10 says this, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation for our sins. What did God do He sent Jesus to be the sacrifice that would turn the wrath of God away from you. That's incredible. Jesus lived and died as well to be a substitution for sinners. The cross is making these big statements. It's making a statement about the sacrifice of Jesus. It's making a statement about the satisfaction of God's wrath. And it's also making a statement about substitution for sinners. Man cannot save himself from his sin. And the cross screams that. And man cannot save himself from the eternal condemnation in hell that man's sin deserves. The cross screams that. Man is completely and utterly unable to do anything to save himself. The cross shouts that out so loud for all to hear. If you could do that, there would be no need for a cross. The cross says something loud and clear. The cross says you cannot save yourself. You need a substitute to do that. And that's where Jesus comes in. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says that the Son of Man, another title for Jesus, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for or in the place of many. In other words, if you just think through, I mean, the Bible's going to teach all kinds of things, but some big thoughts I want to put before you. The Bible teaches that Jesus obeyed God perfectly in your place in his life. Your life has not been what God created it to be. My life has not been what God created it to be. God created your life to be a life without sin, lived for him. And you have not done that. But look at Jesus and what do you see? You see God in the flesh, perfect and righteous with no sin. And consequently, he is the perfect substitute. Jesus perfectly obeyed God in your place with his life. And on the flip side of that, Jesus satisfied God's wrath in your place on the cross. What you and I deserve because of all of our sin is for God's wrath, the creator to pour out all of his judgment on us. Just 
and crush us and destroy us and unleash all of his wrath on us. We deserve eternity in hell. You know, I'm not that bad. You're not what God created you to be. You're a sinner. And you, as you look at the cross, where, what is Jesus doing there? He's satisfying God's wrath. God the Father is pouring out all of his judgment, all of his wrath right there on Jesus Christ in your place. Jesus is a substitute for sinners. The cross is screaming that. The cross makes one more statement I think that we could look at this morning that relates to the securing of peace. Sin creates a gulf between man and God. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that that could span that massive gulf, that massive chasm. Your good works can't span it. I mean, you think God's here and you're over here. And the chasm is so great, you can't get there. Your good works can't span that gulf. Your heritage can't span that gulf. Oh, I've grown up in a family of Christians. All my family's Christians. That's what we are. No, no, no. That's not how this works. Nothing can span this gulf except the cross of Jesus Christ. And uh, you might think of the cross of Jesus Christ as a bridge. It's often been described that way, a bridge reconnecting God and man. Why, while it's an instrument of pain and torture and suffering, the cross is actually an instrument of peace. To bring peace between God and his creation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, In Christ, God was reconciling or bringing the world back to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins against them. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, it's now possible for you to be at peace with God and to have your sins forgiven. Not because you're good, not because you do something special, but because Jesus Christ is good and he's done everything in your place. And he's handed everything that he's done to you as a free gift if you'll take it. Which should cause all of us to say, wow, if what the Bible says is true, that is incredible. If Jesus is God and he's the creator of the world and he's man and he's the savior of the world and I am a sinner, as the Bible says, who deserves God's eternal judgment, then that is incredible. What a gift. Jesus is God, the creator of the world, man, savior of the world. And the question for every single person on the face of the earth, including you, is this. Okay, so what are you going to do with Jesus? In Mark 1.15, Jesus told people exactly what they should do with him. In the simplest language, he said this. He said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in that good news. What does that mean? Well, Um, maybe I could just give you what might be called the ABCs of salvation. I'm literally going to give you an A, a B, and a C to try to make it simple. A, we might say that could be admit. Admit, tell God that you admit that you are a sinner and that you are sorry for breaking his laws. God, you're right. I'm not going to try to stand before you and tell you that I'm a good person and I've done this and I've done that. I mean, maybe I've tried to do some nice things, but at the end of the day, I'm a wicked sinner. And God, I admit that. And before God, however you want to say it to him, just in the normal way that you might talk to another person, just say, God, that is me. 
I get it. I understand why there's a cross now. There's a cross because of people like me. Admit that you are a sinner. That's A. And B is believe. Tell God that you believe the things that I just shared with you. That Jesus Christ is God. He's the creator of the world. He's man and he's a savior. That he died on the cross for you to pay the price for your sins and that's enough. God, I believe that. And God, maybe I couldn't explain everything that the pastor Nate just said up there, but what he just said, I believe it. So admit and believe and see, commit. Tell God that you commit to stop living your life for yourself and to start living it for him. God, my life has been all about me. And sure, I mean, there's been some nice things I've done in there, but at the end of the day, like this is about me and my sin and what I want and you created me for you. Hey God, here's my life. I don't, I don't want to live for me anymore. I don't want to live for my sin. I want my life to be yours. Admit, believe, and commit your life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That's what he believes. And I want to ask you, is he your Savior? And some of you would sit here and you go, yes, he is. Praise God. And others of, others of you, maybe you've never heard this in your life. Or maybe you've never, maybe just you're sitting here and some lights just came on. Can I just encourage you, uh, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I want to encourage you as I pray to to do exactly what I just described, A, B, and C. God, I'm a sinner. And what Nate just shared, I believe that. And God, here's my life. Would you save me from my sins? And would you start to change me? I can't change myself. Would you change me? Jesus is the Savior of the world. Is he yours? Each person who is being baptized today, and I hope this will be crystal clear, each person being baptized today wants, to see, wants you to see a message that says this, Jesus is my Savior. And I want you all to know that. That's what's happening with baptism today. People are saying, the message that was just shared, that's happened to me. And Jesus has saved me from my sins, and I want you all to to know who Jesus is to me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me at this time? And as I mentioned, I'm going to pray. And I want to encourage you, if maybe you want to pray right there in your seat and say, Jesus, save me too from my sin. Why don't I pray? And if you want to pray there in your seat, you go ahead. God, looking at the verses that we just looked at, looking at who Jesus is according to, not man's opinion, but the Bible. We stand in, in awe because we know that we are all people who are sinful and we all deserve your judgment. Our good works can't outweigh our bad works. We're dirty and we're unclean and we're defiled. And yet the Bible tells us about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, that he is God. He's our creator And he's come to earth as a man to save us from our sins. And God, I just want to pray for anyone sitting here who does not know the sweet joy of having their sins forgiven and washed away and does not know the joy of being brought back into a relationship with their creator that today, right here, right now, they would cry out to you and say, God, I admit it. 
I'm a sinner. And I believe in Jesus Christ, that he is God. I believe that what he did is enough to save me from my sins. God, here's my life. I'm yours now. God, I pray that you would save people right here today. God, I pray that you would keep saving people. Thank you for the nine people who are about to stand up and say that Jesus did that for me. And God, we celebrate that, that you are a God mighty and powerful to save. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.